Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. So we'll see how it goes, but I'll just tell you up front that um, I didn't have a lot of notes as I normally do when preparing a message like this. And it's a little slim from my perspective. You think, man, finally, he's going to teach a 20-minute message. (laughs) No, (laughs) I didn't say that. (laughs) But it may be a little shorter. But also, I didn't want to step into the next account that follows the feeding of the 5,000. It's Jesus walking on the water and three of the four gospels mention that. So I didn't want to like jump into a whole larger section. And so I'm going to leave it at the uh, feeding of the 5,000, but we're going to back up where we've been over the last few weeks is Jesus was for the last few weeks for us in our study in the chronological gospels. Jesus was preparing the 12 to send them out two by two. He told them uh, what they should preach, how they should conduct themselves, um, what they should take with them if a city or a home would receive them, if they did not receive them, how they should respond to that. He told them everything that they needed. He anointed them with the Spirit of God to go forth two by two on a missionary journey. And last week, we learned of Jesus sending them out and then Jesus himself following behind, preaching the kingdom of God to the cities there in the Galilee. Now when we come back to where we're at, right preceding the feeding of the 5,000, the 12 gather back to Jesus. And that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, We're largely going to be looking at John chapter 6 today, but I want us to look at the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels of the disciples returning to Jesus, what was taking place just prior to the feeding of the 5,000. So we're going to look at, and there are only like one or two verses in each account. We'll look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke about what just preceded the feeding of the 5,000. And then we'll learn from John and largely from John and we'll jump into a few of the other gospels as far as the actual events of feeding the 5,000 from Jesus' perspective uh, from the word of God. But this is coming to the close of the second year of ministry. And we've been talking about that all last, well, not all last year, because we began with the birth of Jesus at the beginning of last year. But For a while, we've been in that second ministry, the year of popularity. That's coming to the close, and it's coming to a close. Um, Some would say at the beheading of John the Baptist, we studied about that last week. Others would say it came to the close by these words that are written in John chapter 6. We'll get to this one maybe next week, but I'm going to read them as a teaser for you. John chapter 6, verse 66 chapter 6, verse 66, 666. It's interesting, the words that are written here. 
And many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That's just, know that the verses are not inspired. That they were put in much later to help us to navigate the Bible. But it is interesting that those three, 666, one number, three times, John 666. And many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. Really sealing off that year of popularity. And we're coming into the final year of Christ by the end uh, in this chapter, we'll learn in John 6 that uh, there is a Passover feast coming up. But by the end of the next Passover, Jesus will have been crucified. So we're coming to that final year. But here we're at the tail end of that year of popularity where they will walk with him no more. So we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. And we're going to start with the 12 returning to Jesus, looking at the three accounts from the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then... In John chapter 6, we're going to look at two points, a great multitude with a great need, and also our method of doing ministry. So we're going to begin in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, verse 13. This is the 12. After they return to Jesus, we find when Jesus heard it. Now that is picking up from hearing that John the Baptist had been put to death. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So upon Jesus hearing the news that John had been put to death, Jesus took a boat and he went off, he set off to go to a deserted place by himself. And as I've mentioned before, the chronological gospels, Jesus is often seen going to a deserted place to pray. Uh, Mark 6, 46, when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Luke 5, 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So this was not uncommon for Jesus to just get away, to spend time with his father uh, and his cousin, I think sometimes we forget this, but his cousin, John, had just been beheaded. Jesus knew it was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise to him, but we see that he received the news and he just needed to step away from the multitudes for a moment. Now, the place was not deserted for long because the people saw the direction he was headed. He was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in Israel. And it's roughly 33 miles in circumference, about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. And it sits 685 feet below sea level. So it is the lowest freshwater lake in all the earth. Now, the Dead Sea sits lower than the Sea of Galilee, but it is not fresh water in the Dead Sea. It is um, salt content. I think the ocean salt content is like 3% salt, where the Dead Sea is up around 30%. It's very salty. That's thus dead because of the high salt content. But also around the Sea of Galilee, there's uh, mountains and foothills. So it's a basin where you can look down into the sea, you can easily see across it uh, where they were at. They were 
the multitudes on a higher portion. They could see the direction that the boat was heading. And we'll learn that Jesus was heading toward Bethsaida. And so they saw the direction he was heading. And so the people seeing where Jesus was going, and we'll learn in a moment with his disciples, that they followed on shore after him. So Mark 6, chapter 30, chapter 6, so Mark 6, verses 30 through 32. I'll get that right. There is no chapter 30 in the book of Mark. Mark 6, verses 30 through 32. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, told him all the things that they had done, what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going. They did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place by boat by themselves. So the apostles now, they returned to Jesus. They're filled with joy. God had used them not only to preach the kingdom of God is at hand, but to heal the sick, to um, cast out demons. And they came back and they told Jesus of all that they were able to do in his name. And maybe they had even heard that John the Baptist had been put to death, but the joy of serving God so excited them that it could not overcome the sorrow of this world. The joy of the work of the Holy Spirit was greater in them than the sufferings of this world. And that's how it should be. According to Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Yes, we're going to go through trials in this earth. Yes, we're going to have seasons of suffering. Sometimes we'll lose a loved one and we'll just need to get away. Go to a deserted place just to spend time with the Lord and to pray. But that should never take away from the joy that the Lord Jesus Christ plants in our hearts. See, joy is something that the Lord can give us. It's not happiness. You know, I could be back when I was a brick mason. Just came to my mind. I've told this story before, but... It was a beautiful Sunday morning down uh, working at a shopping mall uh, down toward Chicago. And uh, I was getting double time, so that made me pretty happy about, uh, you know, making double time. I don't know. Back then it would have been about 40, 50 bucks an hour. So, yeah, that makes me happy to come out. I normally never worked on a Saturday, but the shopping mall was wanting to get this work done. So I came in. And I was just getting going. I could have been whistling Dixie, happy as could be. And then my hammer hit my thumbnail, ripped it off, 99% of it. And I still had joy. My response to that exceeded the pain of ripping a thumbnail off. Because my response was, well, praise the Lord. Because I didn't cuss. And normally at a point of extreme pain, words might come out of this pastor's mouth that this pastor did not want to come out. And when my finger got hit with a sledgehammer a few years ago, I did not say praise the Lord. But everyone I tell this story to, they want to know, what did you say? (laughs) How did you respond? (laughs) 
I did not cuss. <laughs> I was not happy. You get a flat finger and see how you feel. <laughs> but that morning, the joy, because this was a prayer that I'd asked the Lord more than a year earlier, Lord, clean up my language. And the language I was asking him to clean up was not an outward spoken language. It was what was in my mind. Clean it up even there. And suddenly, great pain, and it's just like, praise the Lord. Well, you can have joy that exceeds the sorrow of this world. Jesus said, in the craziness of this world, we should learn to be wise to follow Jesus' example who said to us, Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Luke, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, And then in Isaiah 40, 31, But those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So sometimes it's necessary to get away to spend time with the Lord, those times with the Lord helps us to even have joy in sorrowful conditions and circumstances because we learn to rest in Jesus Christ. So in Luke 9:10, we're still looking at the event just preceding the feeding of the 5,000. Luke tells us, Luke 9:10 the apostles when they had returned told Jesus all that they had done he took them and went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida so here we have the location Bethsaida it was near the sea of Galilee they don't know exactly where it was at it's believed to be about 5 miles somewhere 5 miles north east of uh, Capernaum which is, we do know where the ruins of Capernaum are today. And it's on just slightly, it's north of the Sea of Galilee, just slightly to the east, uh, if you look on a map. So Bethsaida, believed to be just a little further out, this is the deserted region around the little town of Bethsaida. Bethsaida was the hometown of Philip, James, and John, according to 1 John 1.44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, sorry, I said James and John in my notes. That was wrong. Philip, Andrew, and Peter. So Philip was from Bethsaida, the same city of Andrew and Peter. So they don't know the exact location, but it believed to be to the north side of the Sea of Galilee, eastward of the sea. But we know it had to be connected to the Sea of Galilee. It makes sense. Uh, Andrew and Peter, James and John were all fishermen. Bethsaida means house of fish. So it kind of makes sense that a fisherman's town would be reflect the very name of the industry that comes out of there, house of fish. So by this time, because the Sea of Galilee is so low, it's a basin, you can see they were in a boat, the people could see, the multitudes could see the direction they were heading. They knew where they were going. They as they went along, they began to share, no doubt, with the other villages and towns that they came to, talking about the things that they had heard and seen by Jesus. And by the time they showed up, there was about 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, sadly, Bethsaida would be condemned by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. 
where he would say, Woe to Bethsaida, Luke 10, 13, for the, if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So we're going to see in a moment that they indeed saw some very mighty works. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels except for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no other one miracle that is referred to in all four Gospels. So what is it about the feeding of the 5,000 that the four Gospel writers all said that this has to get into the pages of Scripture? It's interesting that the multitudes being excited about Jesus, but unsure at this point of who he really was, they excitedly shared about Jesus with others, so much so that the crowds that came out to Jesus numbered 5,000 plus, 5,000 men. It always says men. So we have to include women and children on top of that. And should we not, having an understanding of who Jesus is, they weren't even sure at this point exactly who Jesus was. But we, being part of the church, being part of the redeemed of the Lord, having a greater understanding of who Jesus is, shouldn't we more so eagerly share with others the truths concerning Jesus? Out of this first point, one thing I want us to remember, that it is good to find our rest in Jesus and to share about him with others. These things are good things. So a great multitude, we make it over to John chapter 6. Now all four Gospels write about the feeding of the 5,000. It's found in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9. But we're going to concentrate on John's Gospel, partly because we haven't looked at John's Gospel in a while. The synoptic Gospels go off in a different direction than John, and we haven't been here in a while, so I wanted to get back to John's Gospel. I don't know personally, but it might be my favorite Gospel, and I always love to teach from the Gospel of John. So we begin in verses 1 through 3, John 6, they followed Jesus. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberius. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. So since the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four gospels, we can kind of place this of a timeline somewhere of around six months from the end of John's gospel to the beginning of chapter 6, John chapter 5 to chapter 6. There's just like the six months that John didn't record for us. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke did talk about that period of time. But also it's the end of the year of popularity, and we've already discussed that. The year, though, began with the second Passover in the ministry timeline. John gives us these. And the second Passover, over. It's only referred to as the Feast of the Jews in John 5.1. Many believe that that feast that John mentions there is a Passover feast. And if that is true, then John tells us of four Passovers as we go through his gospel, one without naming it. 
And though that gives us the three plus years of Jesus's ministry, because we're counting the Passover celebrations that John tells us about in his gospel. So it also means that Jesus now is coming up to that third Passover of his ministry, which by the time he gets to the fourth Passover, he will suffer, die upon the cross, and then resurrect from the grave. So this is his final year as we come to this portion of Scripture. In Matthew 14, 14, it tells us when Jesus saw the great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So they were going off on a retreat with Jesus. Jesus said, my apostles, what joy it is to see you so excited about the ministry that You've been on this short-term ministry trip where you were able to preach the word, heal the sick, cast out demons. You're coming back to me overjoyed. Let's get away. Let's go on a retreat. Just you and me, boys. Let's go. All right, Jesus, let's go. And then they start looking behind them, and there's just this multitude of, some believe, up to 20,000 people following around. Now, I think the disciples were thinking, not again. We were supposed to get away to be with Jesus. We were supposed to spend some time alone with Christ. But there was a greater need that was at hand and at play. And so the Lord began to test his disciples. They had proven themselves on the short-term missionary trip. They were faithful to all that the Lord commanded them to do. But here the Lord had a greater test for them. Verses 4 through 7 Now here it tells us the feast of Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. So this could really account for the large crowds. People would go to the Passover celebration. Josephus records in the history of the Jews that he wrote. um, He recorded that I think he was talking about the Passover celebration in like AD 60. He said there were some 2 million people that showed up at that Passover celebration. So the numbers were large who had come to celebrate Passover, and it could account for this large crowd. In verse 5, John 6, it says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing the great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew what he would do. And Philip answered, Verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So the people were pressing in. According to Mark 14, 15, and 16, they were pressing in on such a way that the disciples said to Jesus, I'm thinking the disciples, you said we were going on a retreat by ourselves. Just us and Jesus. And now we have this 20,000 people crowd. So how did they respond? Matthew 14, 15, and 16, send them away that they may go to the villages and buy themselves food. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) You guys who just came back to me bragging about how you were able to heal the sick, cast out demons, and bragging about that ministry that you were just on, 
Well, don't let the ministry stop. Don't send the people away just because you think you're being overwhelmed by the multitude. You feed them. Now, Philip's response, 200 denarii wouldn't be sufficient. So we know from John's gospel that Judas Iscariot was the treasurer. So Philip may have turned to Judas and said, how much we got in the coffers? So 200 denarii in the savings right now. So that was a denarii was out a normal man's pay for a day's labor. So this was 200 days worth of labor for a common person. And he saw the crowd. He did some quick math and said, they can't even have but even a little for this much money. We just don't have it. And I think we're often guilty of looking at our physical limitations while trying to meet both physical and spiritual need. We're often guilty of looking at our physical limitations. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Surely the twelve understood their insufficiency when they went out two by two on that missionary journey. And they may have never even prayed over someone who was sick or someone who was demonically possessed to have the Lord do a work in their life. But the Lord had anointed them for the task. They went out on faith at the word of Jesus, they preached the kingdom of God. They healed the sick. They anointed the sick. They cast out demons. But I know that they knew that it was not them. It was God working through them. And yet now it seems that the situation was notably bigger than anything that they had faced before. I knew that they, I'm pretty sure that they understood on that short-term missionary trip that they were not efficient for the work that was given to them, but that God would meet their need. They trusted in the Lord, and they were overjoyed to see the Lord work in ways that they could not even imagine. But now they're challenged beyond anything that they had seen before. And I think sometimes we who have known the work of Jesus in our past lives we often get troubled about the current circumstances of our lives. Yet, when these troubling times come upon us, we must continue to abide in the vine. Jesus said in John 15:5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. There's some things I want us to remember from this message today, but that would be a good one right there. Jesus saying, without me, you can do nothing. We're insufficient. Our sufficiency must be in Christ. So one of the disciples, verses 8 and 9, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I've mentioned this before. Andrew is always bringing People, every time we read about Andrew, he's bringing someone to Jesus. That is a good testimony for any of us to have. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
John 6, verse 9, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? So we think of a loaf of bread. We got probably some loaves of bread downstairs every week. We seem to have them. This was a boy's lunch. So don't think about this five barley loaves like, hey, you got five loaves of bread for the week. This is a boy's lunch. Five biscuits, two small salted and smoked fish. So it wasn't like this little boy here has this huge, you know, multitude. No, he had a sack lunch. He came to Jesus, had five small biscuits, a couple of smoked fish. And Andrew saw and said, what are these? But think about the faith of that child. Jesus needs food. I have my lunch here. I'll share with Jesus. Now the apostles, men of great faith as they were, Andrew, (laughs) nice little boy. Okay, I'll bring you to Jesus if you must. The faith of a child. The disciples were asking, I think the disciples were thinking, no doubt, as the children of Israel thought in Psalm 78, 19, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And the disciples would soon discover that, yes, he can. Just as the children of Israel discovered, yes, he can. May we always remember that our physical energies and strength are always insufficient to meet spiritual need. We must abide in Jesus. So our method of doing ministry, we see it here, and I'm going to read it also from a passage from the Apostle Paul, but we see it being displayed in this text. So our method of doing ministry should be the same. In John chapter 6, verses 10 through 14, we begin that there was, it was decently and in order. John 10, Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, the number of them about 5,000. In Luke 9, 14, it tells us, Jesus saying to the 12, make them sit down in groups of 50 in Mark 6:40 so they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties so there was order in this not chaos there was order i believe that the worship of the lord especially in larger numbers should have order that is why we have an order of service we Uh, pray together, we sing together, we study the Word of God together, we do this together because I believe that there should be order in the Word of, and the ministry of the Word of God. Now, some people love the disorder. Some people love uh, um, Sunday morning going off in a direction that just sometimes could be to the bazaar and they would call it a move of God's spirit and sometimes God can move and cause something to happen that would be unexpected to all of us. But we find that the Lord is not an author author of confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, and also verse 40, Paul said, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, 
as in all the churches of the saints, verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So I think order is proper for a church service. Uh, when we gather together to worship in large numbers, we see here at the feeding of the 5,000, they sat in groups. They were in groups of 100, groups of 50, and it just made it easier, you know, for the disciples to minister to them and to meet the need of the people. So in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish as much as they wanted. So one by one, Jesus blessed and broke the five loaves and the two fish while looking up toward heaven. And we get that from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. While he was praying over the loaves, he was looking up to heaven and breaking them. And I believe the Lord wanted everyone to know from where their blessing was coming. Not as, and it's not in my notes, but I just can't get it out of my head. I wish I wouldn't read commentary sometimes, but some theorize, when those who do not believe in miracles at all, that this was no miracle at all. The disciples were actually planning for such an event, so they had uh, backed Jesus up to a cave, and as he was praying, they were passing out from the cave. Let's go, boys. It's time. No. That's not what happened. That's for those who Jesus didn't walk on water. We'll look at that next week. He was near the shoreline. And there was rocks there. He was just knew where the rocks were. Yeah, you can try to explain away everything. Take away the miraculous from the Gospels. You take away much of the power of the Gospels. This is God incarnate. And we should not be surprised that the Lord Jesus Christ could feed a multitude in the wilderness. What did the children of Israel ask Moses? Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? They discovered, yes, he can. And right now they would discover, yes, Jesus can. So he broke the bread. He broke the fish. He gave it to his disciples. The disciples in turn took it and gave it to the people as much as they wanted. Jesus looked up to heaven because I believe he wanted the people to know from where their blessing was coming. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Sometimes we need to let the people know the Lord did this. Where does your blessing come from? We must first then, as followers of Jesus Christ, receive from Jesus to rightly serve others. This should be our method of doing ministry. When Paul wrote about uh, the Lord's table and he began that whole section when he talked about communion to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11:23, he used these words to begin that teaching. For what I received from the Lord, that which I delivered to you. I got this from Jesus. I'm just giving you what Jesus gave me. That's what the disciples were doing as they went out to feed the 5,000. We're just giving you what Jesus gave us. Look at them. 
He's over there. Look at his hands raised up. He's still breaking that last fish. And they were filled, verse 12 says. That's a Greek word that not only means to fill up, to make full, it means satisfied. Think about thanksgiving. And you've already pushed away from the table knowing that you've eaten too much, knowing that there's still three or four different types of desserts that are coming in the future, knowing that you're about to have a food coma. (laughs) That fits the word. They were satisfied. Isn't that what God does? Psalm 107, verse 9, He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. And after satisfying the hunger of 5,000 men plus women and children, to the disciples' amazement, the Lord allowed 12 baskets of leftovers to be collected. Now, he will make a later point of the 12 baskets to his unbelieving disciples later on. But this is noteworthy. And he also, we're going to learn that he feeds a crowd of 4,000 as well. And at that time, there'll be seven baskets of leftovers. I'll let the theologians kind of argue about why why 12, why seven. I'll let them argue about all that. For me, I take it as simple as this. At this point, each of the 12 carried away a basket of leftovers to realize that Jesus can take what little we have and do great things with them. Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So the people now, and this will close out our teaching in verse 14, the people, those men, the 5,000 men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, truly, this is the prophet who has come into the world. So the prophet, we talked about, I believe I mentioned this last week as well. I gave you one of two verses from Deuteronomy chapter 18. One of two. I'm going to give them both to you now. It's Deuteronomy 18, 15 and verse 18. You should have these verses underlined in your Bible. You should know them. When in the New Testament they talk about the prophets, they are referring to Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18. So Moses prophesied concerning the coming Messiah, Deuteronomy 18, 15. He said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. So this is a messianic term. The men said in verse 14, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. They connected with the feeding of the 5,000. They connected this to the promised Messiah. This is the prophet. Now, again, as encouraging as that might sound, by the time we get to the last verse in John chapter 6, we've already read it once today. It's not the very last verse. But verse 66, 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So they ended up misunderstanding the meaning of the work of Jesus Christ. And, and I don't really fault them too greatly because they were kind of where we are today as Christians. The Jews of Jesus' day had a heightened expectation of the coming Messiah, but they were looking to the coming of the second coming Messiah. We know that today. There's a first and second coming. They were looking an expectation to the Messiah who would come and to kind of end the Roman rule over him, over them, set up their kingdom, uh, rule from the temple there in Jerusalem. They were looking for the Messiah of the second coming. They had no clue of the Messiah of the first coming. So they kind of fall in line with more of how we are today. We're to be looking to the Messiah of the second coming because Jesus came the first time. That's a done deal. They just didn't understand the purpose of his coming at this time. Much later when Jesus cried out in John 7, 7, in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, also verse 40, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching to the crowds that had gathered in Jerusalem in Acts 3.22, he said, Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says. And Peter preaches here to point to Jesus as the prophet. Stephen, right before he was stoned, when he spoke to his brethren in Acts 7.37, he said, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. They took Deuteronomy 18, or Deuteronomy 15, huh, get it in my head, John. Deuteronomy 18:15 and 18:18, 18, 18, referring to the prophet, they took that Peter and Stephen and said, that's Jesus. And right now the people recognize the work of Jesus and said, this is the prophet. And like Moses who fed, not freed, in my notes it says freed, who fed the children of Israel, actually freed the children of Israel from Egypt, fed them in the wilderness. The people were beginning to look to Jesus to feed them, to free them. And yet they had a misunderstanding. They were looking for the Messiah of the second coming. They didn't understand what we understand today without first considering the work that Jesus had to do at his first coming that came with his death on the cross. Ephesians 5, 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. And to this day, only Jesus can free us from the bondage of sin that he might feed our thirsty souls. And our method of doing ministry is to first receive from Jesus before serving others. So why? Is this miracle repeated in each of the four Gospels? 
There could be many reasons why. Here's four that I came up with. First, we need to realize in our own strength, we are insufficient to meet spiritual needs. Second, in all that we do, we are always to give glory to God. Third, we must first receive from Jesus before we can rightly serve others. And four, only Jesus can satisfy a person's soul. Father, thank you for this, your word to us, your church today. Maybe, Lord, we've been a people trying to figure out ministry apart from you. Trying to figure out how we can feed the 5,000 with insufficient bank accounts and not enough food on hand without bringing this first to you. Maybe, Lord, today you just want to remind us that we are always insufficient to meet spiritual needs. If we're guilty, Lord, of striving to do that apart from you, forgive us, Lord, help us to repent of that even this day. We also pray, Lord, that in all that we do, may we give glory to our Father in heaven. May be, Lord, that we would be a people that would grow accustomed to receive from you that we can rightly serve others and help us, Lord, to realize that you are the only one who can satisfy a person's soul. And so, Lord, let us be like the multitude in the sense of sharing about the things that they had seen and heard. They gathered a crowd to hear you of some 5,000 plus. Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed to share with others the great things that you have done and are doing in our lives and our midst. Even this day, we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.